from tribalism to unity in diversity, from self-interest to putting others first, from isolation to community. Psalm 124, written by King David, begins with paralyzing danger and ends with euphoric praise. Like many of the Psalms, it is shot through with realism. Many scholars believe that it was written right at the beginning of King David's reign when Israel was under attack uh, from the Philistines. The Philistines were aggressive, expansionist people who had already been a thorn in Israel's side for 200 years. Before David became king, uh, they had roundly defeated Israel's uh, army. They had killed King Saul's sons. Israel was at a very, very fragile place. They had no capital, um, no administration. Uh, just about all that was left of Israel's army was a ragtag group of outlaws and fugitives who were loyal to King David. But Israel was teetering on the edge of extinction. And at that moment, the Philistines were not a nuisance or a bother. They were an imminent threat to Israel's existence. And David's prayer vividly portrays the, the heightened danger that the Philistines pose, likening their, their oncoming advance to a fire-breathing dragon or a flash flood. King David, this paragon of, of courage and Military intelligence sees this enemy advancing, and he is completely overwhelmed. He knows that Israel is overmatched and powerless to defend itself. I want us to see that biblical faith is not escape from this world. It's not where we go to flee the realities of life. It's not an opiate. Biblical faith is born and cultivated in the midst of real life and real danger. Sometimes people are brutal. Sometimes we're overmatched and overwhelmed by forces beyond our control. By people who want to slander our reputation, by economic or political forces that threaten our way of life, by catastrophe and disease. A majority of the Psalms express distress of one kind or another. Distress from violence, oppression, homesickness, sin and failure, loneliness, spiritual depression. It's all in there. Biblical faith is born and cultivated in the context of real life. It's not an escape. The authors of the Psalms are constantly inviting God into the muck and mire of human existence, into the dangers and the terrors that haunt us. The Psalms are not naive about the dangers and trials we face, nor do they presume that worshipers are exempt from them. The Psalms really challenge two kinds of people. First, they challenge those who want to name it and claim it who believe that their access to God entitles them to an easy and carefree life. It challenges those who assume that God is a bulldozer parent 
who goes on ahead of his children and smooths out all the rough and bumpy surfaces and takes away all the risk and all the danger and adversity from our lives. That's not how God works. God, often for reasons we don't understand, allows danger, allows some amount of adversity to enter our lives. He allows things to happen that leave us feeling overwhelmed and overmatched. Most of the time, if we discover his purpose, it's long after the storm has passed, but often God's purposes remain a mystery. This psalm challenges those who think that following Jesus is going to be all puppies and rainbows. It's not. There's another group of people that this psalm challenges, and that's the cynics and skeptics who think Christianity is some kind of sales job. A product peddled by slick-sounding pitchmen with sparkling white smiles and shiny black shoes. Several years back when I was between churches, I was doing some work for a guy near Worcester, and he, he found out I was a pastor, and he says, you don't really believe in this stuff that you sell to other people, do you? I mean, you know, this, you know you're just duping people, right? And for him... Religion was just a product that people sold to take advantage of people who are easily fooled by that sort of thing. He assumed that pastors and ministers were scam artists. Of course, some are. Some people use religion as a means to gain power and influence and fame for themselves. One of the strategies for growing a platform is preaching a message of prosperity offering people a formula for using God to get the life that you've always wanted. By contrast, the Psalms give us religion, warts and all. Eugene Peterson says that in the Psalms, every skeptical thought, every disappointing venture, every pain, every despair that we can face is lived through and integrated into a personal saving relationship with God. Then he says, good poetry survives, not because it's pretty or beautiful or nice, but because it's true, accurate, and honest. Psalm 124 is the opposite of a White House press briefing. It is the opposite of a sales job. It is quite simply honest prayer. It makes no attempt to brush aside the harsh realities of the human experience. Instead, it brings them right out into the open where everybody can look at them, and it thrusts them before God. But it's not just that life is filled with challenges for everybody. When we begin to follow Jesus, life often becomes more complicated, not less. And Eugene Peterson captures this well. He says, Christian discipleship is hazardous work. He explains why. Every day, he says, I put my faith on the line. I have never seen God. In a world where nearly everything can be weighed, explained, quantified, subjected to psychological analysis and scientific control, I persist in making the center of my life a God whom no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and whose will no one can probe. That's risky. 
Every day I put hope on the line. I don't know a single thing about the future. I don't know what the next hour will hold. There may be sickness, accident, personal or world catastrophe. Before this day is over, I may have to deal with death, pain, loss, rejection. I don't know what the future holds for me, for my loved ones, for my nation, for this world. Still, despite my ignorance, and while I am surrounded by tinny optimists and cowardly pessimists, I say that God will accomplish his purposes and I cheerfully persist in living in the hope that nothing will separate me from Christ's love. And every day, he says, I put my love on the line. There is nothing I am less good at than love. I am far better in competition than in love. I am far better at responding to my instincts and ambitions to get ahead and to make my mark than I am at figuring out how to love another person. I am schooled and trained in getting my own way. And yet I decide every day to set aside what I do best and attempt what I do very clumsily, open myself to the frustration and failure of loving, daring to believe that failing in love is better than succeeding in pride. Following Jesus, trusting in God, clinging to hope, loving others is hard work. But the hazardous nature of discipleship is just the setting for this psalm. The subject of the psalm is God's help. David wants us to know one simple truth about this particular moment in his life. This moment when his and Israel's backs were against the wall. If it hadn't been for God, the danger that they found themselves in would have become a disaster. If it hadn't been for God, both he and Israel would have been swallowed alive. The raging waters would have swept them away. They would have been torn to shreds. Whatever it was that happened in that battle against the Philistines, whatever it was that turned the tide, David could not take credit for it. He and Israel survived for one reason only. God showed up. The God who was for us arrived right on time to help. The danger was real, but so was the rescue. David wants us to know that God is not far off. He's not indifferent to the challenges we face or the trials that overwhelm us. He's attentive. He is for us. And nothing, no power, no danger, no catastrophe can separate us from his love. Of course, God doesn't always intervene, does he? At least not always in the manner and in the timing we would like. Sometimes the strong take advantage of the weak. Sometimes nations fall into the arms of oppressive regimes. Massive earthquakes pour salt into the wounds of poverty-stricken families and decimate already fragile economies and infrastructures. Sometimes God doesn't stop the bullet or heal the patient 
or remove the suffering. Some of you know Sue Badeau. Sue's a national expert on trauma. She did a couple of uh, workshops for us uh, on how to care for ourselves and others in a pandemic. Sue and her husband, Hector, have uh, fostered over 50 children and adopted over 20 children. And many of them came with trauma histories. And there's rarely a moment in their lives when at least one of their kids isn't going through an acute crisis and sometimes several all at once. Sue and Hector have spent their entire marriage walking through the sewers of people's lives and getting close to other people's pain. What most of us would consider devastating for them is par for the course. And Sue shared with me this week about the fact that many Christians over the years love to quote that psalm to her that says, Sorrows may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. She says, I know they mean well, but that's not how I experience life. In my experience, the sorrows and the joys are always mingled together, day and night. There are joys to be sure, but I don't know life without sorrow. I bet some of you can relate to Sue. I share this as a reminder that we need to be very, very careful how we read the Psalms and how we extrapolate them theologically. The Psalms are prayers that reflect a messy combination of theology and lived experience. But they are not strictly doctrine. They give us one author's experience at one moment in their lives. They testify to their pain and sin, their disappointment and depression, and to God's mercy and forgiveness and deliverance. But when we read a psalm, we get a window into someone else's relationship with God. That doesn't guarantee that the way God intervened when David fought the Philistines is the same way God is going to intervene when you fight cancer or when your kids break your heart or when your spouse abandons you. The point of the psalm is not God always intervenes in this way. The point of the psalm is when God does intervene, we give him praise. David had a song to sing. Our nation was teetering on the brink of extinction. If God hadn't shown up, we would have ended up in the ash bin of history. Praise be to God. So what do we do with this song? It's not systematic theology. It's not an answer to the problem of evil and suffering. What is it? What do we do with it? Well, I think it's an example of public praise in response to what God has done. It's an example of how God wants us to sing when we experience his mercy. Eugene Peterson says, Christians are not fussy moralists who cluck their tongues over a world that's going to hell. Christians are people who praise the God who is on our side. 
Christians are not pious pretenders in the midst of a decadent culture. Christians are robust witnesses to the God who is our help. Christians are not fatigued outcasts who carry righteousness as a burden in a world where the wicked flourish. Christians are people who sing, blessed be the Lord. He didn't abandon us defenseless. Our calling as Christians is not to defend God. It's not to explain God. It's to sing and praise God for his faithful presence in our lives. Christians are not naive. Christians are not lucky. We know as much about danger and the ugliness of sin as anybody. But as we experience God's help in times of trouble, we have a song to sing. Again, Peterson says, we speak our words of praise in a world that is hellish. We sing our songs of victory in a world where things get messy. We live our joy among people who neither understand nor encourage us. But the content of our lives is God, not humanity. We are not scavenging in the dark alleys of the world, picking in garbage cans for a bare subsistence. We are traveling in the light toward God who is rich in mercy and mighty to save. It is Christ, not culture, that defines our lives. It is the help we experience, not the hazards we risk, that shape our days. God's help is not a private experience. It is a shared reality. We don't treasure God's activity in the quietness of our hearts. We shout it from the rooftops. We tell one another what God has done for us. And we offer our story to anyone who will listen. When I was young, I suffered from chronic asthma at a time when asthma was poorly understood and treatments were still being developed. And on more than one occasion, my blood oxygen level was so low that my lips turned blue. And my dad broke land speed records driving me to the hospital so that I could get oxygen to save my life. If God hadn't shown up. When I was five, I was riding my bike through the woods and ran over a ground nest of yellow jackets and was stung 40 times. I am allergic to everything. <laughs> except bees. If God hadn't shown up. If God hadn't shown up, I probably would have flamed out of ministry seven years ago. Beth and I have experienced seasons of complete and utter helplessness. <laughs> when we were overwhelmed and clueless about how to keep our heads above water. If God hadn't shown up, I don't know where we'd be. What's your story? What has God done for you? What story has he given you to tell? What song has God given you to sing? If it weren't for God, where would you be? If God had never tracked you down, never called you by name, never welcomed you in. If he had never jumped on the grenade for you when Jesus went to the cross. If he never forgave you, if he never gave you a fresh start. 
If he never called you to repentance, never gave you the Holy Spirit, never softened your heart or polished those hard edges. If he never put that person in your life to walk with you and to pray with you. If he never surrounded you with a community who told you the truth and loved you unconditionally. If he never healed you, never comforted you, never dealt with your guilt and shame. If he left you to your own devices, where would you be? Who would you be? That's your story. That's your song to sing. By the way, we can ask the exact same questions collectively, can't we? What's our story? What has God done for us? What if God hadn't intervened in the life of College Church when our founding pastor's credibility imploded? What if he hadn't sent Dave McDowell to show us how to follow Jesus with courage and humility and integrity? What if God had left us to our own devices when the church was torn in two? What if he hadn't sent us Jim and Sharon Van Eyperen to help us confess and reconcile and heal? What if the stress and the isolation of the, of the pandemic wrapped around everything else that happened over the last year and a half? What if that had gotten the best of us? What if, he, what if we had had to navigate the last 18 months on our own? Where would we be? This is our song. This is our story. God has given us a song to sing. A personal song and a collective song. Our neighbors need to hear these songs. Next week, when we gather for our summer celebration, I'm not going to preach. Instead, we're going to hear a number of stories, praising God for what he's done in our lives. We'll share more stories in the weeks that follow. If you have a story to tell, let me know. The danger is real, but so is the rescue. Let's pray. Father, if you had not been on our side... Thank you for the ways that you have graciously intervened in our lives. Thank you for rescuing us, for healing us, for breaking our idols, restoring relationships, giving us a fresh start. Thank you for the ways you've sustained us as a body. In eight months, we'll celebrate our 50th anniversary as a church, and we have stories to tell. Would you give us time this week, maybe even today, to look back on our lives and to remember some of the ways you stepped in and changed the trajectory of our story? Would you give us opportunities this week to bless one another with some of these stories? And would you bring us alongside of someone this week who may not know you yet, but who needs to hear our story, who needs to hear about this merciful God who is on our side so that they too can call upon your name and taste and see that you are good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.